Welcome to the Look It's Rock and Roll podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill. Today, we've got Bill and Andy, which means we're talking Wasp. Well, Bill's got the background going. I like that one. Uh, I'm obviously giving a very subtle hint to which album we're going to be discussing. Uh, Sequentially, last episode, we talked about KFD. And we skipped Double Live Assassins because we're going to save that for the next episode and combine both live albums, which followed the studio albums at the end of the century, beginning of the new century. So for now, we're just going to get stuck into the 1999 release. Held, I can't ever get this thing to work with the background. Yes. Held the great belief. <laughs> you had there the you double. Go. Perfect. Double. Oh, you got the combo. There you go. So, Helderado came out in May 1999. I remember it well, because back then I was really excited that there was another Wasp album coming out, especially with my response and what it had been to the previous one. I was really hopeful that they were going to return to what I considered form and sound like still not black enough again. I was very, very wrong. As Blackie Lawless, I think, succinctly put it, this album is like Mean Man, Blind in Texas, and Animal all rolled up in one. Andy, when did you uh, get Helderado, and what were your initial impression impressions of it? Well, uh, you know, like you just said, we just went through the KFD, so uh, you know, you know how that was, and it, again, like I had posted, you know, we talked about last season. I actually like KFD even though I don't really know industrial and never heard about industrial rock at the time. So anyways, when the album came out, I was kind of like grabbed it and I started listening to it. The first thing I noticed, it almost, it has the same thing at KFD. It's almost like they didn't turn it up enough and I'm not a pro or an expert, but to me, it sounds, it sounds fine, but it's still not as loud as it could be. You know what I'm saying? Am I off on that, Bill? Maybe you know more than I do on that. Well, uh, for starters, I've got a, a vinyl that I haven't spun. I've been listening to digital files of it. But the digital files have sounded great. So I don't know about an actual CD pressing. And that's the thing. is, you know, 1999, they were still jumbling around a lot of CD mastering and stuff like that. They hadn't really nipped that in the bud to where what ended up being the loudness wars to where, you know, you're used to having something blow your eardrums out. But, uh, I thought this was a lot less fatiguing than, uh, KFD. Uh, and if I could go ahead and, and elaborate on my, my opinion of the record, I've only had it a couple months, but, uh, where kiss always gets their, their description wrong about this one's going to be the next destroyer. I think blackie from what Julian quoted he nailed it on the head. That is like a perfect description of this album. And, uh, you know, after uh, Still Not Black Enough, which was more like Headless Children, and then KFD was like nothing else, I was pleasantly surprised with this album. And uh, it's kind of like the band pointed to a calendar date in 1986 and said, set the time machine for that. And they went straight back to it, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I just think I just didn't think there's like the drums are turned up uh, like enough a little bit more they need to be turned up. I don't know, maybe that's me. And if you're going to ask me about drums, you know, I had that that fascination with the uh, annoying crash symbol on uh, still not black enough. That symbol is still there, but it's used so much more tastefully on this record that it doesn't doesn't bother me. You know, I'm still not black enough. I was worn out by the first song that they were hitting that symbol so much, but they are definitely sampled drums. But uh, yeah, they could have been a little louder, but I think it's a really balanced production altogether. That was one of the things that struck me immediately. I mean, Blackie tells the story of where he was at headspace-wise in the liner notes of the album, at least on the on the promo I got. Um, so it was very much that he was going back in time, that he was trying to capture that same kind of energy and vibe that he had, say, in 1985. Um, I think he specifically says he didn't try to recreate, recreate the first album with this recording. But something that strikes me on the sound end, Andy, um, is not the drums, and Bill, is not the Loudness Wars. This sounds like a very 1980s produced album. Uh, it can play right next to Last Command perfectly in terms of exonics. As you said about the Loudness Wars, it is not brick wall to death. So to me, there's a lot of definition in the sounds, which suits it much better to the production than the previous album. So all of a sudden, you go from that very dense listen to that of the previous album to one which is just a traditional rock and roll album that's allowed to breathe and you know the drums are very much taking a a background throughout the album to guitars guitars and more guitars well that's what i mean i mean uh and also too man uh chris holmes is there (laughs) you know And, and i gotta say man man it's really when you listen to it. I mean, it's it's probably one of the underrated Wasp albums in the catalog in, in ways because I think with the K when the KFD hit, people were just stunned. So it was either you really liked it or you really hated it, kind of like the Kiss, you know, Elder thing. You either love it or you hate it, you know. And I think a lot of like they said, uh, you know, KFD it turned a lot a lot of people off. And then when this album came out, the people are already gone. You know, so when this album came out, there were people I know. I'm like, hey, look at this KFT new author. And they're like, uh, I don't know. After the last one, I don't, I'm like, well, yeah, listen to this, though. It's a lot different. It sounds kind of, you know, that raw, you know, like you said, raw nastiness, you know, the, the, you know, the old style, you know, the first, you know, first album, second album, third album, kind of, kind of, you know, mixed. Actually, I think this can go kind of near the electric circus in that way when I think about it, you know. You know the songs and stuff like that. Yeah, and I, th- yeah, I, th- I think this one would slot in even more perfectly before Last Command, like in between the first album, the first two albums, because in terms of its kind of aggression, it's closer to Winged Assassins than it is to you know kind of the smoother stuff that started coming out. Uh, he had a lot more of his pop kind of uh, hooks coming in for Last Command. Yeah, that's true. If you want to look at it that way. You know, but they, you know, I, I love his guitar. I think it's, uh, you know, if you listen to, you know, when we get into the songs, I mean, Chris Holmes' guitar work, man, I, it's awesome. <laughs> you know, he, he really does a really good job on this, man. It's, it's unbelievable. You know, it's just, uh, it's one of those albums. I think it just got, came out and just got shuffled under the table. 
Well, you know, con- consider the record label that they were on by this time, CMC International, distributed by BMG. You know, it, it was advertised, which is surprising. I'm, I was actually sitting on eBay earlier, just looking at what sort of Hell Dorado merch is out there. There's a right top of uh, the page is a 11 by 17 promo CD store poster for 3.99. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And he would really? like that. So, um, you know, that's what All the wasp stuff, all the wasp stuff is expensive if you can't find it. And even when I've gone to like record stores or, or yeah, record stores, people, there are still some out there. Anyway, he said, you know, even if you go to these shops, the first thing I say, you know, either got anything, kiss, or it's going to look for the kiss. And the second thing is wasp. I'm the two, and they look at me with my head. <laughs> I go from kiss to wasp, and they, some people, some of them look at me strange. I'm like, yep. I'm like, that's my second favorite band is wasp. You got anything? They're like, no. And if we do, it's gone. So there are people out there here and there grabbing this stuff, but there's not much stuff out there. You know, it wasn't like a mass, mass, mass produced production of stuff when they did stuff. I think this is where Blackie kind of dropped the ball. I mean, I understand he says he didn't want to do all that kind of stuff, but. I don't know, to each his own, you know, to each his own, what can you say? But I didn't really see too much promotion uh, on this album at all. I saw absolutely nothing, zero. I mean, uh, I didn't see anything in magazines. Uh, if you look back through some of the old magazines, I still don't see anything. I absolutely see nothing. Yeah. And I was, didn't know that CMC International was the original release. Excuse me for a second. But CNC, CMC, if I can recall correctly, is like the original Legacy Act uh, label, where I remember that Styx was on CMC at one point, and they were picking up all of those 80s acts that wasn't, you know, you know, really pounding the numbers out. So the fact that they actually included Wasp was pretty amazing. But yeah. then again, they, but that thing is, you know, you went, look, it's you had to do what you were doing, Andy. You had to go look for it because they weren't promoting everything. They would have lost their ass if they'd had to promote every every band that they had on their label because they had some really big name bands. And I, and I think they relied on that big name band more to sell itself because I just had a quick look. Judas Priest, of course, was on there for uh, Jugulator and uh, the other one, Demolition. Uh, Dawkin was on there, so I think for Shadow Life. Um, so, you know, the, the bands themselves had already a built-in fan base, but Metal, metal what was it, Metal Edge? Um, I don't, well, I'd stop buying uh, music magazines mostly by that time, except for, you know, picking up old stuff from the past. So I, I, I wasn't staying current. I was, I was current on Wasp because I was still following them online. As we mentioned, you know, last episode, you know, Wasp Nation or Wasp Nest, whatever it was, the website back then, you could still find out news. I was still going to Amoeba and record, uh, record stores. And, you know, there were a few releases that I wanted to find archived wise that had me still looking through the wasp you know section and occasionally finding something that you know I may not have known whether it was a single or, or whatnot but let's let's dig into this album track by track it's gonna go pretty fast this episode today I think uh, so let's get going bill we'll start with you your thoughts on drive-by <laughs> is that Andy or me you you okay <laughs> All right, well, he likes well, to wait. 
would be, you know, what latter day Wasp album would not be complete without an intro spoken word section <laughs> in it. And, and, you know, it, you couldn't help but giggle during some of it, but, you know, really, I still think it's better than the big welcome from, uh, inside the electric circus. Oh, I will fight about that one. <laughs> and it was a, and it was a pretty good prelude to the next track. That's yeah. All yeah. Great intro, Andy. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go against Bill. The electric circus inside electric is still better. <laughs> the intro to that is still, still better, but, but yeah, I, you know, that's, that's what they do. That's what he does. He's like, you said, he's spoken stuff and does a little thing and it, uh, you know, it goes with kind of with the song, you know, so it works, you know, and they needed something, you know, right. Here we go. Well, Wasp was kind of back in that old, the old ways. And this is, this is how they, you know, kind of would do that kind of stuff. Even when they do stuff live, that's what they do. We have all these little intro things and bam, right into a song. So, oh yeah. So it works. You know, still now, has, you, you still, saw them around this time. Did they use this as the intro to the show at that point? Yes, they did. And they went uh, right into uh, Hell Dorado. So, yep. And uh, there is, uh, I think, uh, there might be some bootlegs up there uh, or a key something, whatever it is. It, the key, yeah, li- live at the key, key club, club, obviously, which was the sting is up on YouTube. So you can see the intro. I was actually just watching that right before. And I couldn't remember if they'd done drive by right at the beginning of Hell Dorado. Uh, but yep. uh, both of you are Kiss fans. And another album came out around this time in 1998 called Psycho Circus. And it had a bit of an intro going for it as well. Do you think Blackie does a better intro than Kiss has ever managed to do? Because Psycho Circus was one of the few where they really tried to do kind of a carnival theme-esque intro. I think he nails this. It's like uh, Phantom of the Opera meets Christine for the intro. And, yeah, some of the spoken word stuff is a little bit cornball, but it sets the tone for where he's going very well. So what are your thoughts on that that kind of kiss connection, Bill? <laughs> well, let's see. We have a carnival and we have washing dishes versus what Blackie's doing. Oh, I think I'm going to go with Blackie. Yeah, he does it a lot better. You know, he has a he, – he, like you said, he sets the tone. It's like this is what's going on, you know. And, you know, even going back to uh, – everybody's favorite crimson idol uh you know his interludes in between help move the story along and just like that this one helps get it all started and you you know where you're going by the end of it pretty simple absolutely better yeah. better not wearing a jacket <laughs> <laughs> andy any any thoughts on kisses intro versus blackie well it's it's you know Apples and oranges, right? To me, they're apples and oranges. Even though, you know, let's face it, uh, I know Blackie Lawless was friends with Ace for, you know, a long time. So, and Blackie has even mentioned it a couple times. I don't know if it's still on their website on the wasnation.com, but Blackie talked about his life and, and, and stories and stuff. He always said that he admired, like, Gene and Paul's relationship and how they did stuff. I think if you if you look at the Kiss catalog and the Wasp catalog, first three albums, then Alive, right? Same thing with Wasp, first three albums, then Alive. I think they followed suit. I think Blackie kind of followed the same suit as the Kiss suit. So, you know, but they're apples and oranges, really, because you got, you know, more of the, I mean, Kiss is rock, but they're not totally heavy metal. You got Wasp more, he's more, more on the metal side. So, you know, but... 
For this song, yes. For this song, yes. Uh, you know, Blackie's or for the Hell Dorado, yes, because the electric inside the Electric Circus is still better than this. But if you really want to look, one of the greatest intros of all time is got to be Detroit Rock City. So when you put that in perspective, from the beginning, <laughs> so I, I don't know. So it's apples and oranges, kind of in that way. But I think still Blackie followed Kiss Sue. Watch it, watch them, how they did stuff, and I think they did the same thing. You know. But, Fair enough. You know. There you go. You know, so let's get into this tracks properly. And uh, the first musical track, or the one with lyrics anyway, is uh, <laughs> the title track, Helderado. Bill, what are your thoughts on that one? Well, and that's the thing is, you know, I was, this is where my being impressed started because it's got that classic wasp sound, the, uh, the structures of the songs, you know, if, if you put them side by side with something off the first two albums, or, and even Electric Circus, you know, they're they're kind of structured the same way. It's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, uh, middle, late, into a solo, and then maybe another chorus on the way out, or maybe another verse. But, I mean, it's basically just textbook Wasp. And then uh, it, it, what was really cool about it was uh, the uh, It's Not Your Father's Oldsmobile part, where <laughs> you know, the Helderado, and that's the thing is, you know, uh, Helderado is uh, the... I was assuming for reference back to where the Cadillac was the coolest thing around in early rock and roll, because when the guy made it big, when the singer made it big, he was going to get him a Cadillac and he's going to come put you in the back and blah, blah, blah and all that. So it's kind of, you know, resurging the, the original vibe from classic rock and roll and, uh, you know, buckle up. She's a monster. If you're on for a hell of a ride, but, uh, the, uh, the middle eight in this is just fantastic. I love the the way it's assembled, and then it's probably one of Chris's best solos on the whole album. Not that not to say anything about the other ones, but this is an, a fantastic solo. Andy, yeah, you got to agree with Bill. You know, it's like the uh, you know the thing Cadillac Dreams, right? Was that that used to be the big thing back in the day? Man, if you made it big, if you all of a sudden you're in a Cadillac and you're driving down the street, <laughs> we're going to do it, you know, you know, so, uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm not his technician with guitars and basses and drums. I just hear what I hear and like what I like, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And, um, you, again, I got to agree with Bill a lot on this one, not that I don't sometimes, but. You know, this song fits. <laughs> no, this song really fits in with some of the from some of the earlier albums. You know, it's 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 straight to the point. We're going to hell, and you're coming with me. You want to take the ride? <laughs> you want to take the ride to Colorado? Let's do it, man. This is rock got and roll. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we got a driver. <laughs> yeah, we got a driver. Let's do this. You know what I mean? So that's the me. And again, Chris's soul. I'm. I'll praise Chris on this again, man. Chris, Chris Holmes, man, man, underrated guitarist. You know, everybody just think, oh, you know, they watch the Western Civilization junk stuff, and that's it. That's all people remember him now by. It's tragic. You know, it's too bad. You know, it's too bad that, uh, you know, the addictions and stuff like that take you. But I'll tell you, man, that guy, the way that guy's tone and the way that guy plays is, you know, it's, it's crazy, man. He's definitely a unique dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you just said the magic word, his tone. I love the guitar tone on this album. And I think if I'm going to rank it up there in the catalog, I like this guitar tone as much as the first album. It's got that raw, punk, unrestrained. I could just see him playing that Bumblebee guitar from the Lyceum. 
you know, 84 show his classic guitar shredding through these riffs. And Hell Dorado, I mean, yeah. this, this really <laughs> is an outstanding track lyrically. The song and the structure of the song, as Bill mentioned, is just absolutely outstanding. But it is just so rock and roll underneath there that, you know, I, I, I've mentioned it before that once you get to a certain point in the Wasp catalog, I start hearing a lot of elements from other songs in the catalog. And this one's, you know, while I think it's an outstanding song, I'm hearing, you know, echoes of Show No Mercy in it. So that's probably why I like it so much as well, because and you can't vo- go wrong with that voice. one. Uh, and his voice, man, his voice still is, you know, in 1999, man, Blackie's voice is still holding up, man, and he could still rip it. You know, he's just got that voice, man, he can do things with, which it's not like super, super high pitch, but he can still pretty bring it for a guy who's got a, you know, a deeper voice, you know? Very- well, you know, not just guitar tone, but his vocal tone. The way he's singing this, and like you said, he's not going high register, but he's going deep and heavy with his vocals. I'm sure there's some operatic term to describe how he's singing, because Blackie's (laughs) voice and his vocals on this are are just exceptional. And straight out of the gate, you go from that outstanding introduction into this, and it's like it sets the stage and then uppercut. And we're off to the races, literally. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the ballad. Don't cry. <laughs> Just suck. <Yeah. laughs> well, I guess that tells a story, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Uh, I, I'm not too sure what story it's trying to tell, but uh, <laughs> Bill, what are your thoughts on that one? <laughs> yeah, I guess it doesn't really tell a story. It just gives instructions. But, uh, you know, this is the classic wasp sexual perversion, you know, going back to fuck like a beast or, you know, ball crusher or something like that. And uh, I I had my notes. The lyrics are a porn script set the music like the lucky pizza guy who shows up and gets turned out. A couple points are laughable, but what porn isn't. And by the way, the the pizza guy never gets turned out. I was a pizza guy for a long time and I never got that kind of invitation when I come to the door. <laughs> but the the riffs are great, sounds fantastic, and the drums aren't killing me. So it's like, hey, I'm two tracks in, and the you know the drums aren't beating me to death. Uh, it, it does, it holds a little bit. You know, there's a little bit more of that uh, that digital blacky guitar, but it fits in really well in the whole mix. You know, if if this mix would have happened on KFD, it might be a lot better record. But uh. And again, maybe it wouldn't be. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Chris the solo, you know, he just nails it. It just sounds like classic Wasp. Andy? Yeah, again, here we go. Agree with Bill, man. I, this is, this is, uh, all right, let's face it. None of us are 16 or <laughs> anymore. So it's not really like, a, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I guess, I guess, uh, I don't know. I might, I might be kind of odd, but I would never like, like he said, the pizza thing. I don't know. I it just, it, it sounds fine. It's okay, but I'm not 16, and I'm not thinking of like, yeah, don't cry, just suck. You know what I mean? I just, it just, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Without trying to say it, you know, I'm not, you know, not 16. I don't think that way. I, I don't, I don't think I really think thought that way back even back kind of then 
But but again, I know it's a it's the wasp thing. You know, it's got to you got to have that old classic wasp. You know, screw you, kind of. <laughs> you know, the one thing about the the title, the title is deceptive, because you know, in twenty the twenty first century, somebody could take it be like the other person in the story is doing something against their will, and that's obviously not the case. You know, both parties are heading in on you know congenial terms about what's going to go down in one way or another but uh you know why why it's don't cry i'm not sure but uh, <laughs> maybe because it rhymes or maybe it was a poke in the eye at axel rose or something like that i don't know or a follow-on to cries in the night uh <laughs> maybe well, or you know overall i mean when you look at the kind of the content of this one yeah it's perverse but it's not that much different than KFD in terms of its anger and rage at relationships, just set to a rock and roll theme instead of industrial music. So um, you, you kind of get the the aggression as well. So it, 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 it but makes then sense. you get kind of red like the dick on a dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I couldn't help but laugh at it. But then again, I've been laughing at pornos for 25 years. But yeah, it's just like, come on, really? But it's it's great. All right, Sorry, let's, you. Yeah, let's let's move on there. I think uh, I'm gonna get away from that one. Um, we won't stick around. Um, Damnation Angels, which again is something that Blackie for me does very very well is his kind of ballady slower tempo songs I've already mentioned Cries in the Night uh, again Sleeping in the Fire and Damnation Angels sits right along that style of music very very well I will say this the song is excellent until the outro and the spoken word ammonia balls ending is terrible and ruins the song for me to the point where I really want to go back and edit that song and chop those off. Bill. <laughs> well, that's the thing is with me listening to it digitally, I just assumed that the ammonia balls bit was basically the prelude to the next song, but we'll get to that. But yeah, I agree with you on a certain point that this is, you know, this is right in the ballpark of of the great ballads that the Blackie's done, but it takes a minute and a half to get to the first lyric. It's like, come on, you know. But this song, actually, I think the best thing that could be done with it is if it was done acoustically, and then if they just brought in, you know, it's not one of those uh, low volume, high reverb like Chris Holmes's "Halfway Down the Hall." guitar solos electric into a, a, an acoustic tune that would have been really great with which would probably be more like a crimson idol kind of production but i think it, w- it would suit it better to be acoustic or to have like you know headless children kind of production on it i wasn't uh wasn't really greatly keen on it but uh the uh, as it is it's kind of a skipper for me but you know the on the uh content of the song could this be a prelude to his spiritual awakening you know where he's actually because you know actually your first track you're hearing 
yeah, we're going to hell. We're going to have a party, this, that, and the other. And then Damnation Angels is kind of like, it's leaning toward kind of the other directions. Like, well, maybe this isn't necessarily the right thing to do, but it doesn't go full bore into it, but it definitely leans that direction. Andy. Uh, well, we finally get to disagree because I love this song. I think it's one of the best songs on the whole album. Point blank. All, all is right with the world. Andy disagrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I mean it's, no, but I mean, like, it's not like we disagree all the time, but no. so far we've been on the same page, but this song, man, I love it. I love that the uh, the intro takes that. It's like Bill just said, oh, it takes too long before they get into it. I love that. It seems to like gear it up. You know, here it comes. You're hearing that same meaning coming in your head, just like it's coming. Here it comes. Come on, baby. Here it's coming more. <laughs> I, I was kind of listening to it in in a multitasking kind of thing to where I was doing something else. But not, maybe if I took like you know got into like a Pink Floyd kind of headspace. To where I was just sitting back, phones on, eyes closed. It might be a bit different, but and his, it, the way and his, it was like driving or working or something like that. It was kind of like, eh, but go ahead. Yeah, his solo, man, is awesome. I think this is one of the best solos off the whole album. I love it. It's just the way it is. It's just got that, I don't know, man, it's that tone and that... And uh, like Julian said, you know, it's 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 not the not the heaviest song, you know, and it's not the fastest song, but it's just got that, you know, like you said, like the sleeping into the fire kind of mode, you know, it's just got that tempo to it. So it's, it's perfect, man. It, I don't know. He's just awesome, man. It's so cool that, you know, that, you know, again, Chris Holmes is so underrated as a guitarist and people need to like pick up this album and just give it a shot if you don't have it or it's just his guitar style is awesome and Blackie's voice again it's still right on target and they play this live and it's so good live too and that's the other thing too when they play it live you know they played it live for years I don't know if they're playing it anymore but they were playing it for years after that man it's just so cool <laughs> you know well, it just I, got that kind I, of I won't disagree. the solo the solo is great but the thing that I was getting about was like the rhythm guitar through it is at like the same volume all the way through. There's not a whole lot of dynamic there. You know, mm -hmm. that's like where like we'll use sleeping in the fire as an example, where sleeping in the fire starts off with that real gentle part. And then when that chorus comes in, it's boom and it hits you. I don't hear that in Damnation Angels. But the, yeah, the, the performances are great. And that's why I thought it would be good. Like if the rhythm guitar had been an acoustic. And then they had that real deep down the hallway kind of sound on the solo. I like your production critique on that, Bill. I think that that would be a very interesting alternative arrangement of the song and also getting into the lyrics a bit uh, sooner. You know, what did Joe Perry say? Don't bore us, get to the chorus. Um, you know, get into the song. Don't have a long winded intro into it when it doesn't need it. Um, Andy's like you and your Aerosmith references. I know. He's gonna he's gonna throw a jab at me every time. Hey, what about that? Oh no, it was it was a val it was a valid quote. That it could have been by anyone. All right, ne next time I'll say it was Michael Schenker. Okay, there we go. Uh, uh, let's move let's move on into. Um, I call this one my my notes are very sparse this week because I was listening to this while working and just jotting down thoughts as they occurred so I didn't really go into a great deal of depth with my thoughts well not that I ever do um, dirty balls I call this another son of animal 
or A Fistful of Diamonds. You know, this song kept coming on as the album went around, and I then had to go pop in all the other Wasp ones, uh, Wasp albums from the, the early part of their career, because I was like, this sounds like something I've heard. This sounds, I finally settled on Fistful of Diamonds, Pure Sleaze. So I don't really? care. I don't care oh, if it's a rehash. It is just a sleazy, sleazy song. And it is, again, what the band did well in the early 80s and what they could still do well in the late 1990s. And I think this really is the benefit of Chris and Blackie as that team. When a band's got a strong team between the guitar Ooh. player, the vocalist, I, I think it benefits the band. Okay. And it all comes together here. Are you okay, Andy? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just had to run, run for a second. <laughs> look a lightheaded for some reason. Nope. I'm okay. Good, good okay. deal. No, no, no senior moments while rocking and rolling. <laughs> <laughs> Bill. So I guess I'll start it off with ammonia balls, have I? <laughs> 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 An ode to stank ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh i said I'd come up with you know my i got some sparse you know notes too but the first thing i thought is like gonorrhea is not a laughing matter or is it <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it's it is classic waspiness to fit this would have fit on kfd i would think and that would have give you an idea of what you know maybe kfd would have sounded like with this kind of production uh it's it's lyrically suitable for that anyway the the one so this is the one solo where chris has kind of an ace fraley sloppiness to it uh you know it sounds like you know kind of like where ace would just swing his guitar neck back and forth while he was playing you know side to side and uh you know it's a perfect fit but uh i think i need a shot of amoxicillin after listening to this one <laughs> yeah and tequila just to make sure <laughs> now you know what was behind the cod piece and it was nasty oh, andy well. i just all i could do is laugh at the song <laughs> it just and we, and we say class of wasp which is kind of weird that something like dirty balls is classic wasp i just i don't know it's just where the hell did you come up with this song i mean really Somebody come up to hey man, my balls are dirty balls. I, I don't, I you know, it's just me. It's definitely dirty balls would kind of go in definitely in the mid '80s. You know, the hair band '80s stuff. No matter who it was, that's the way I look at that song. <laughs> yeah, well, that was the big joke. Like if you would read, uh, you you'd read articles in like Cream or Circus or something like that. The big joke would be like, hey, yeah, we had you know we had this show in Poughkeepsie and so-and-so came down with the crabs or something like that. You know, they had those kind of stories back in the eighties about where they would end up poking in somebody in the band for getting the skanky one. But then again, Blackie's saying that the dirty balls are all he needs. And I was like, okay, well, I'd rather have whatever floats your boat, bud, you know, <laughs> that's right. I think, I think like, this song is just more, more of a, like a joke, you know, just kind of silly. First, <laughs> he must have been yeah, thinking he, about Tipper Gore. Oh yeah, definitely. Every, every uh, single one of these songs is dedicated to the PMRC. That's what I'm saying. This, 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 that song is definitely to me is 
more of a mid eighties. It's almost like it's like it was like a lost leftover. Well, yeah, and that's like, and that's why I get you know Fistful of Diamonds out of it. It's basically the same, uh, other than lyrically, musically, it's uh, a, com- a complete rehashing. That's probably why I like it more than I really should. When you think, and it's not one I'm ever going to sing along to, um, <laughs> ever. I, in fact, I want I want to get off that song because I'm I'm feeling dirty. Um, <laughs> moving on, High on the Flames, a very good car analogy or metaphor whatever you want to go with that for me this one is again something else that blackie does well he gets a good stones vibe going at the beginning of the song very stonesy in a metal sense so you can tell where some of his influences are and come from on this kind of clearly um and that's enough of it the chorus is so catchy and again, it just goes well with the theme of Hell Dorado and that demented car high on the flames. You know, you just see a, a gasoline doused car. I mean, Christine, you know, going down the, the highway in flames and those flames coming off. And yeah, very, very good visually to me, Bill. And and I grew up in the Midwest and, you know, we had, you know, we had guys driving rust buckets when we were kids, you know, it wasn't nothing to get a buzz off of an exhaust leak or something like that when you're driving along. But back to the song, it's dynamically different than the than anything that came before it. But it's not, I don't think it's a good opener for side two because this opens side two on the album. I don't know how it would work out on the tape or whatever. But the structure is pretty cool because it's got two verses and then a chorus and then it's got the uh, the solo, and it's got two more choruses, and then another outro solo, which is really just kind of jumbling up the, the traditional Wasp formula. And this is another one that would probably uh, be a really good single, because even in its you know it, its its album form, it's like four four fifty one, but it could be uh, easily knocked down to like three twenty seven, shortened up for a single for radio, and I think it would have been. You know, well, that's the thing is if there was rock radio in 1999, that it would have been a good single. Wait, weren't both those numbers you just threw out engine sizes? I know 327 is. Did I say? Well, yeah, there's well, and then the four. Yeah. 327. That would. Yeah, that's a that's a Chevy big block. That's a Chevy. Chevy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's all my car knowledge in one song. Andy. (laughs) Uh. I really like the song too. Like uh, Julie says, it's got a nice hook to it once it gets into it. At first, it's a little rough. Well, I didn't say rough, but at first, I kind of, at first, I go, huh. And all of a sudden, when it gets into it, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? That's Game. why I'm saying it's, it wouldn't be a good opener, you know, the, oh. because it, if you're not getting it in the first eight bars, uh, you know, if you're not knocking them out, now, second track, perfect. Yeah, like, like I said, it, it, when you first listen to it, you go, you know, if you listen to it, like, uh, I don't know, just say keep listening to the album for a couple of times, you know, two, three, four times, and you can always get to that song. At first, you kind of go, huh, do I like this? And then it all of a sudden it gets into, you know, it gets into it. Like I said, after X amount, after the first, what, 30 seconds, maybe, then it seems to more get into it. And then it's like getting high off the flame. And I'm like, man, just. That's cool. It, yeah, it's uh, it's very catchy. It's in my head now. <laughs> it's, it's just gonna keep, you know. It's, yeah, like you said, it's it's got the '80s feel and vibe again. You know, it's got that '80s like, yeah, I'm gonna be in the car. Let's go. 
Let's take the ride. I'm getting high off the planes. Go as fast as we can. Who cares? Let's just drive it and drive and drive until we run out of gas. <laughs> yeah, it's such a shame yeah. that we're getting into the obscure Wasp albums now in, in terms of kind of wide, more widespread knowledge. Most people wouldn't have known that Wasp was <laughs> even still around, you know, mm. after probably Crimson to, to a great deal of people out there and these songs and particularly ones like the uh like high on the flames to me are gems that are just buried in a band that was buried um commercially and generally which is a shame well did did blackie bury himself too i mean he's i mean i, I don't really you know again dude, we talked about this stuff he doesn't do like other bands well some of them you know, maybe merchandising a little bit because they had that kind of look and they had the thing and they don't do, well, like he doesn't really do meet and greets or the band doesn't meet, do meet and greets. And he was like all against all that kind of stuff and still is. And, you know, doesn't like to have pictures. I, you know, I, I understand now what he's, you know, his different life now, but even back then he, I, most of the time, I guess he, he didn't like to do it. So, you know, I think they, drop the ball on that kind of thing because i think if you do some of that stuff you know it helps the other way you know right yeah but th this is also closing in on the turn of the century where mm -hmm. uh some bands from the 80s were not necessarily known for being bands you know they were more leaning toward being celebrities you know you have nikki six being a radio talk show host and you have uh uh you know tommy lee did a a show on MTV about going back to college and junk like that. And, uh, you know, which led up to, you know, the Osbournes and family jewels and stuff like that. The big rock guys from the eighties weren't being known for being big rock guys. So with Blackie, he probably didn't go down to any of those routes. He probably, you know, he may just not want to maybe management said, no, just, you know, we can tour Europe every other year and you can keep your bills paid. And he, he did something like that and just didn't count on America to be blowing, you know, blowing up the bank. Well, I mean, yeah, that's true too. But, uh, you know, you, you gotta have some kind of promotion, man. You can't just, you can't just say, here's, here's an album. And then all of a sudden you want 8 million people to love you. You got, you got to have some kind of promotion. I don't think he wanted 8 million people to love him. I wanted, I, th I think he wanted enough people to buy his albums and appreciate it, you know, on that level without him having to do meet and greets. I can't think of anything worse than having to do meet and greets. I think it's the most oh. horrid thing uh, for an artist to do, but the money's just too good for them to ignore. I, I, I think it's, it's just basically torture. Um, and all the other stuff that you've just listed that these artists are doing, they all illustrated why they shouldn't do it as well. Uh, well, why can't why can't they get on? Why why didn't they get on uh, on tours with other bands, other bands that are playing metal bands, even if they weren't the headliner? I don't know if that's an issue with him too, or Blackie. That that's an issue that I'm the headliner. If I'm not the headliner, I'm not gonna play. But if you look at some of the festivals they play overseas, they're not the headliner. There, there's been times they're really like, you know, the highest one, and then they're like they're like six or seven. And you know, and then there's way bands lower than them when you mm -hmm. have like 50 bands playing, they'd be like the sixth before the top, you know. So they weren't always, uh, they weren't always the headliner. So I don't understand why they can't, they couldn't have jumped on 
bigger tours. I mean, again, yeah, in the ni- late 90s, 99, 2000, you know, 99, 2000, right? Yeah, how many tours were there? You know, heavy metal tours. Well, that's right. There's always a heavy metal. There's that's always the thing. Be cool. Is in 99 and 2000, bands that were heavy didn't want to be called heavy metal. You know, and they promoters would see it where, you know, it's like if you have like Lamb of God, for example, if uh, somebody was like Lamb of God with Wasp or something like that, where they're like, well, that eight with Wasp, that's that cheesy blind in Texas band or whatever, you know, uh, it would be it would be a detrimental effect for promoters to sell tickets. But, uh, you know, even through the 90s, like bands that are considered metal ish bands now. They they were actually knocking down the metal metal uh, genre and actually talking shit about them a lot in the late nineties and early two thousands. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the audiences when Wasp is performing in Europe, and they are just, you know, <laughs> going nuts for that blind in Texas stuff, you know, and everything else. So uh, maybe the answer is in the next song, Cocaine Cowboys. that was a terrible segue but there we there we go um i'll I'll start us off on this one and you know apart from the title which i think is so crap um this is the style of wasp i always loved musically it's rip roaring rock and roll in exactly what you guys just mentioned blind in texas style and it's just chalk again guitars 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 i there's a certain amount of joy that i i kind of feel in the performance of chris all throughout this album uh, or, or and blocky as well for you know his guitar contrib- contributions there is just like no restraints they're just playing and it has a very kind of you know, heavy metal Chuck Berryness going with it. That it's just loose. Play the hell out of that guitar. It's going a little bit out of tune here. It's you know reverbing there. There's a you know a bad pick off a string there. It is rock and roll. Everything about it. You know, this is one of my favorite songs on the album. Bill. Sorry, had to find my mute button. Yeah, I would agree 100%. And like where I was talking about the last track not being the great opener, this one would have been a banger to start off that second side of the record. And uh, it's classic Wasp sound structure. Uh, the progression going into the final chorus is a little left left of center, but it's really cool. And it's just a classic. I mean, it, you know, to coin classic Wasp burner. And uh, I think it would have been a great start. And it's a great second track, but it would have been a better first track on side two. Yeah, nice. Andy? Uh, it's okay for me. It's not the greatest one on the whole album. It does have that sound to it, but it's just not my, mm-hmm. I don't know, just not my cup of tea on that one. It's okay. It's not, not my favorite. It's not my least favorite, but it's not my favorite. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. It's, it's not a burner for you. So why, why don't yeah. you start us then with "Can't Die Tonight," the next song? Oh, this is where this is where I kind of lose it. <laughs> In a good way or a bad way? Bad way. This this is not. I just no. This is just not. I don't know. I, I just the next couple of ones, man. Or end. Just just it just went. It went from being like 
really, really top notch. That all of a sudden it's just like slowly falling off the hill. <laughs> are, are, are you saying that there was too much octane on the first six tracks? I mean, is uh, I mean <clears throat> that you've gotten a little unleaded now? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, for me, yeah, I'm gonna say that. Yeah, a little bit unleaded. Again, it's not. The, <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not the. Uh, yeah, I'm speechless right now. It's not the best thing. It's not the worst, but it's not even that. You know, it's kind of like I said. You're going from now. I went from going from <clears throat> cocaine cowboys, and now we're going to <clears throat> can't die tonight. So I'm taking as I'm going down. The steps keep going. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's so, all I got. So for for Andy, we've gone from the 327 Chevy to the Prius. <laughs> oh no, it gets worse. Let's not go that far yet. He's still on the four-cylinder Ford Escort engine. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, yeah. Oh, what do you think about Can't Die Tonight? Can't Die Tonight, you know, I really didn't write anything down about it musically because what stood out to me more, and this may be what's turning Andy off, is that if there's not a concept through this entire album, there's definitely a theme. And the... the uh, this song basically describes, you know, where he may be having second thoughts further on about, you know, this is a great ride, but it's not going to last forever. And please don't let it happen tonight. You know, uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a moody change and I can see where Andy's coming from on it because I would think that the theme about it, you know, the first four Wasp albums, they didn't have themes to them. Well, the, the fourth one did, but uh, the third, the first three, you know, they were just kind of banger, 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 banger. But uh, this one here, you know, you've got seven, uh, well, six bangers and a, a spoken word bit. But then here, all of a sudden, you're you're going into turn three, back to our car references, and all of a sudden you hit you hit a a theme, and it's like, oh well, I mean, all this fun I've been having for the first six tracks isn't what I should be wanting to do or whatever. And, uh, you know, where the, the, the subject of the song is seeing the, the party coming to an end. Yeah. It's like, it's, it just disappears all of a sudden. It's like this, 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 just the song is just, um, it's like, it's there, you know, that's all it is. It's just there. It's not, not bad, not great, but just not there. That's how to me, it's like, Oh yeah, I can't. Oh yeah, that's right. This song is on this CD. That's how I look at it, you know. I'll listen to it, but I because I don't, you know, I don't really skip stuff too much. But I mean, I'm just, it's just there for me, yeah. you know. Just, just sign the same thing. I don't know, just there. And, and while I, I still think it's a good song. I just don't think it. Uh, I, it is kind of a, a, a bit of a shock from just the bangers going to this thematic nature. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't skip it. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I won't skip it again. I've mentioned a couple of you know other like bands that come through in what I'm hearing here, and I I like something on this song in particular, and it is the rhythm guitar that's just chunking in the background like Malcolm Young. It's very ACDC-ish, and that's probably why I like it so much more than than maybe I ought to because I'm hearing that element in the background that was what he was just very very good at, and that again the guitar tone of that rhythm guitar in particular, it is thick and juicy yeah. and it just grinds throughout. So that, that's an element that jumped out and, you know, enough for me to, to write it down. So I'm going to take for 
it's what you will. Um, moving on. Saturday night's all right for cockfighting. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I didn't even write anything down about this. I just couldn't. I mean, what? <laughs> what? I mean, wh- where is he? Indonesia? Yeah. It's just, where does someone get... Yeah, I, I don't get it. I don't get cockfighting. I don't get, you know, Saturday night's all right for fighting. Elton John had it nailed. Just just leave it there. Um, this one, the lyrics don't make any sense. It's <laughs> just, it, it, it's the dud on the album for me. So, Bill. Well, I'm from the Midwest, and I don't think he's attending the same kind of event that I'm familiar with when it comes to that term. Uh, it, it definitely it leans to being in a sexual nature, and I'm kind of like, well, wait a second, you know, are you talking like a sword fight? Which I'm not down <laughs> with either. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was this was probably a skipper for me. You know, this would be one where I I might just pull the plug on it. A well, no, we got one more track, so. Yeah, I ain't going to skip the last track. But, uh, yeah, this would be a skipper to just go ahead and get us out the door with the last track. Yeah, uh, it's do or die an eye for an eye. That's uh, (laughs) kind of uh, leaning towards a sword fight. Uh, One-eyed monster here or what? Yeah, the (laughs) one-eyed wonder worm, right? (laughs) I agree. It's a total bummer, let down. Again, they went from... It went from this whole the thing went from really, really good to like all of a sudden it's like, okay, I've run out of ideas. That's it. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, we're I ran out of ideas. That's it. Here you go. And it's it, the thing that it's so lyrically bad that none of us discussed what the music's like. How bad does a song have to be? You know, <laughs> I mean that puts it like I, I can't even think of a song that's so lyrically bad that I can't think about the music or the melody or something. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's so lyrically bad. We've just washed away whatever, you know, that might've been Stet Howland's drumming, you know, masterpiece and it got screwed up by the lyrics. Yeah. And he's like, he's trying to sing so fast too. And that's not, I don't know. To me, that's not Blackie Lawless. He's embarrassed by the lyrics. So he's trying to get them out quicker. (laughs) I don't know. It definitely, I guess, I guess, oh my God, the three of us just went, oof, bomb. <laughs> he should have got him out on garbage day. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's, it, this song is proof of why cutting room floors exist. Well, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe just, well, maybe they just need to be kind of like the fill. Oh, I mean, of course, the fillers, but um, I don't know. Maybe just, like you said, maybe just like kind of a, like a leftover, but hey, man, I'm just going to put her on because, you know, they, well, they were always black, black was always famous well you know you put on an album and then all of a sudden you, you would see like a 45 or, or, or a picture disc or something and he's got you know a couple songs and then he's got oh yeah these were left on the cutting room floor so i'm gonna put them on the b side here you go sell that and then the next one you do the same thing so they would do this kind of weird you know you guys ever remember that yeah remember that he, he and was was i mean blackie or whoever did that they were they did that a lot back then you know they put it like I want to be somebody, and then like put on the flip side, and then they put like Mississippi Queen, and then another song, or uh, you know, whatever you know. So they would put all these, and they would keep doing it. And that was one thing I was like, wow, they he, Blackie lost it. So he had a, like a lot of B sides, you know. 
Yeah. Well, that's why there are, there are a ton. Like Van Halen, you know, what did Van Halen put on the flip side of Hot for Teacher? Little Dreamer, which should have been a single off the first album to start with. You know, little, Van Halen didn't fool around with putting out, you know, oh, well, here, let's jam on this cover tune or something like that or put something substandard on the, the B side because they were kind of raised into the point where, or they were part of the, the generation where you had double A sides, where you had Beatles tracks that both sides of the record made it into the charts or the Stones or something like that, all the way up to Queen, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody and, and We Will Rock You, uh, We Are the Champions. They were both in the chart at the same time on separate entries because of the song, because they were that quality. And, it, uh, and it, yeah, and I remember Blackie saying something when they put on the B side that they don't get paid for it anyways. So they just slap on the song and they don't think it's going to do anything in the first place so uh, they publishing circles i've heard that the uh like going back to the monkeys if we can go way back that uh hey Kirshner, hey, hey, hey don't 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 bag my monkeys man i love my monkeys but uh it would be a bargaining chip for the record producer he'd say well andy i love your song and julian i love your song but I think Andy's is going to be the bigger hit, but I'm going to get you on the B side, which will get you. It, it's kind of chump change in comparison to the single. But then again, how did the chump change pay off when they flipped over Detroit Rock City? Exactly. You know, all of a sudden they started playing Beth, and Beth is pulling in more money than than mm. the actual single track was. So I don't I don't think that you I don't I'm surprised that it's not a it's a don't get paid kind of situation, but that's something deep going into music business that even I'm not familiar with. Or maybe, maybe like you said, like say chump change, maybe it's like, so nickels and pennies and dime orders or something, you know? And besides, uh, you know, how, how many, how many records nowadays, like the B side does better than the A side? Probably nothing. It's not no, like those shapes. There are no A sides or B sides. Now they just put out single songs and they, they, you know, they're just fodder. They'll just well, keep that, That's the thing is, is either they're just fodder or they completely blow up. Do you know who the number one sing, who the top single artist is in the world at this time? That kid band, right? Isn't it that kid space? Nope. Nope, it's a solo. His uh, name's Taylor. Drake. Oh, His who? name is Drake. Because what Drake did, he put out a, like a 12 or 15 song album. And released every one of them to iTunes as a single. So if they didn't want to go buy the whole album, he released the whole. Th He's done that to a couple records, and he is actually the the highest charting single artist because he's got all of these. You know, he's beat out the Beatles. He's beat out the Stones. Uh, but he obviously had enough songs that were good enough to be singles that hit, right? Well, that's the thing about well, it, though. Is you're dealing with something <laughs> like iTunes, you know. If they had a good 30-second clip, it could be a turd for the other two and a half minutes. But if people bought into the clip, you know, uh, I don't know if the album sales would equate into like 12 singles or not. But then you have, you know, we, we are back into a singles market. You know, that's like, well, people's like, well, why aren't you releasing full albums versus EPs or, you know, just releasing singles? Because people are buying the singles. People will give a dollar twenty nine for a single when they don't want to have to go out and pay nine ninety five for that single plus eight other songs that they're probably not interested in. 
But Drake yeah, but took it, advantage of that market and just rolled in the cash. And he's, you know, he, he's a top dog in the music industry because he did that. Yeah, but how do, how do you know that you're not going to like the other songs? What happens if you like the first single that comes out and you say, hmm, I wonder if the rest of this one sounds so good. So you're well, going to turn around. That comes with digital previewing now because everybody, anybody who sells songs online worth their oats is offering a preview. And yeah. even people aren't selling it, they are offering a preview. But yeah. uh, I'll buy it. If I'm, a, if I'm considered a real fan, I'm going to buy it. Right. right? But Period. if you get, you got nine people that live on your block and each one of you likes a different song, then it's basically like selling an album because you, you buy the one you like, your neighbor buys that one, the guy across the street buys another one. And it's not having to depend on that total album sale to generate revenue. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and that's part. where the industry was kind of heading. I mean, you remember all these bands saying we're not doing albums anymore. We're just going to do singles or EPs. So it's kind of come around full circle from where it was in the 50s. Let's move on into the last track uh, before we get into the music industry podcast. Um, <laughs> Hot Rods to Hell, the Hell Dorado reprise. My singular note on this is it's the culmination of an album that's like an album full of rock and rolls to death. If you remember the best of, and then the, obviously the re-recording on still not black enough, Blackie Lawless is a great rock and roller. And that's just what this song is, is a great conclusion to a rock and roll album with a steaming rock and roll song and rock and roll to death. Indeed. Andy. Yeah, I like this song. It's not, uh, you know, Lisa didn't like this. It didn't totally drop off. The <laughs> it's not like the two before, but uh, you know, it's okay. You know, um, it's all right. I like it, but it's not like it's still. It's not one of my highest ones on the whole album. So that's the way it is for me. So I mean, but it's all right. It kind of seems like he's. It was almost seems like a, a. You know, I don't know if this one came out before the Colorado. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> is this just like, did he go back and say, hmm, wait a minute, I think I, this is better than, than you know, the basically second song or first song off the album. You know, oh, let me let reprise it. I don't know if it's before or after. So to me, it's okay. But I still, I'd say when it says Helderado re reprise, I still, number two. You know what I mean? I'd rather listen to the first, well, number two on the album because the drive-bys aren't technically a singing song. So anyways, it's okay, but... It's not in the top for me. Bill. <laughs> okay, and it, I'm going to go right off of my notes on this one. I said, on this closer, Blackie pulls out every classic rock and roll trope and wraps <laughs> it in wrapping paper. From the Chuck Berry arrangement to the Who's It's All Rights and to the Beatles' Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and to Robert Johnson's Crossroads confrontation, you know, he took everything that was rock and roll about rock and roll since before it was called the blues and wrapped it up in a wasp wrapping paper. And uh, yeah, while I, I, it's not top of the heap, it's still a good listen, you know, and it's, it's, uh, as my friend A.D. Adams likes to say, it's got the bougie to it. There's, there's nothing you can top with, you know, of all the songs that you can uh, take a boogie to 
and reproduce it in a different genre. Metal is the band, is the, the genre to, to bougie too. So I like the bougie woogie on it. So Ooh, rock and rolls, me. rock and rolls to death. Literally the kitchen <laughs> sink. I was laughing when you started off about that. I was like, oh my gosh, me and this is one me and Julian's on the money with. So yeah, and I'm not you're wrong. I'm just saying that we're in agreement on it. Yeah, we're just coming from going in the same direction from different angles. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up with our, our favorite three, because I think we don't need to cover our least favorite, as we're all pretty unanimous in our derision um, well, for, for, can, a can one, just, for a one song. You, may you do what? Yes, you certainly can, Andy. Can, can I just throw in this? I did, got lucky to see this tour. So I'll just say, everybody, I, did, I was able to see the tour. Um, you know, it was Chris Holmes at his wildest, as, as usual, and Blackie at his craziness. And uh, I think it was Stet, Stet was played drums, and I uh, had Mike Tudor on bass. Uh, it was a good show. It was a great show. It just, um, uh, saw him. I wish I had a ticket. I don't have a ticket stub because uh, basically that tour was very weird here in the United States at the time. This, this is how weird that tour was. So they played in New Jersey. On 3-3-2000, yeah, 2000. Then they didn't play until 5-3-2000 in, in Maine, up in, up in Maine. Then I didn't get the, and that was it. And then all of a sudden, here they are. I saw them on 8-3-2000. That's how much their sporadic jumped. <laughs> how do you make money off that? I don't know. That is very, very odd in that tour. But so they uh, the show and they say, we'll see you on the third. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. You'll see you on your third, and then two months later, we'll see. We'll see you on third again. Two months later, and a whole up in Maine, from California all the way to Maine, or, you know, or wherever. And then turn around, five, six, seven, eight, three months later, again, it started back up, and that's where I saw him uh, down at the place that everybody knows that the tragic happened at the station down in uh, Rhode Island. Uh, basically, me and a buddy went. <clears throat> it was last minute. Didn't even know. It was kind of like. I think it might have just all of a sudden we heard this radio thing because back then, you know, still most of the stuff was on the radio. It was very hard to uh, hear anything about Wasp period. And then all of a sudden, uh, me, the buddy went down, uh, paid the, I think, you know, 20 bucks to get in, I think it was. And then uh, it's a very, that place, if you've ever been there, tragic though. Basically, you had to walk in, paid, you walked in. I remember you take a right. You went down like a hall and the hall was probably like 50 feet or something like that. So you just, it's just a hall, you know, and you could barely get two people through there. And then you took a left and then that's the like area. And basically when the bands played, like, you know, Blackie still had his high heels on and Chris and stuff. When they came out, man, their, their heads were almost hitting the ceiling. So they, you know, Chris had to keep bending further down than you usually, you know, that he's always you know, doing that thing going like this. He had to bend down even further, and Blackie had to be very careful about it because he had the higher heels on hitting his head because they only had like probably like this much room left before hitting their heads on the ceiling. So that place was very, very small, but the show was really, really good and really, really loud, but it was awesome. I loved it. I'm glad I got to go see it. So um, that's I'm all curious about do. one thing, you know, from the station. Obviously, we all know about the Great White Show and yeah. that absolutely horrendous night and the lasting, the lingering effects of that um, yeah. across the music industry because it did it reverberated. Um, when when you watch the Sting online and 
um, the clips that you can still see on YouTube. Blackie starts off the show by setting his Wasp logo on fire. Did they do that as part of the Helderado tour that you saw? So there, there was... I mean, that just makes me shiver having seen that, you know, uh, when watching the sting and you just now mentioning that you saw a wasp and I was like, Oh my God, did they light that thing on fire there? You know? No, so small, the stage, the thing area. No, they didn't have it. And if they did, I I don't know. I probably would have lost all my hair. I mean, I had more hair back then. I probably would have lost. I probably been bald. That place is so small and packed. It was super packed. It's general mission. We were just like crammed in like sardines. It you know it you know it was the old general mission kind of shows you know. So again, it was so awesome. it, so even Wasp was smart enough not to use pyro at the station. Well, place is so so small, man. I don't even think they could fit it on the stage. You know, I think they just basically had the drums and Did they, they had Elvis. I don't remember if they even had Elvis. They might not. I don't know if he had Elvis at the time. To be honest, I can't even remember because it was just. I don't think so. Oh, maybe. I actually, you know what? He had Elvis, but he didn't swing. He just they just let it sit there all night. <laughs> Would have knocked the walls down. <laughs> knock the walls down, knock us out, you know, because they, the stage, I mean, even though they had a stage, the stage wasn't that big and, you know, we're you know, it wasn't like a big wall stage. It's just like a, you know, here I'm at my knees, you know? That's all it was. There wasn't much to it. You know, you probably could have grabbed the guys and just pulled them in. That's that's how much that's how small that place was to be able to grab. I'm, I'm absolutely yeah. shocked, Andy, from your descriptions of this joint, how the station disaster ever happened, how anyone in their right mind could ever have lit. I mean, here you are describing a place, and I've been to some places even in San Francisco to see shows that I have actually left because they felt like death traps. I mean, this is all post-station that I'm more aware now that when I'm going down like a, a rabbit warren to get into where I'm going to see the, the show, and then there's a single door all the way behind me and maybe another one up beside the station. I'm like, forget it. I'm packed in. I'm out. I don't, you know, and I understand, you know, it's it's sad. It was sad and tragic in, in, to, to get out of that place. You know, there's not many, if I can remember right, you know, they said there's maybe, you know, you know, on the stage or behind stage. I don't know any of that stuff, you know, so there's probably next. But getting the hell out of there to, to get out the front door, <laughs> you have to go through that. You would have to go through that crowd, go down that hall. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if it's 50 feet. It could be 30 feet. But 30 feet is a long way. Just and, a straight and smoke hall. and panic as well. I mean, come on. Complete chaos panic. I can understand. I well, I don't understand, but I, I understand why people just it just happened, you know. And if those people knew, like I said, even me and my buddy, man, we were in there like sardine cans. So if even if something happened, you're like trying to turn, you couldn't move. You know what I mean? So it was very hard to say. It, it, you know, it's tragic, just tragic about that stuff. Oh, well, anyways, I know you want to get going, but uh, yeah. So that was station because uh, I think you know I can't even remember off the top of my head when that happened. Uh, it, that happened when? I can't remember when the tragic happened. Yeah, no, I, it don't, I don't recall it off, too, off the top of my head. Yeah, but it wasn't too, too long after. I think it was maybe four, five, six months maybe, something like that, if I remember right. And I get hmm. phone calls at 3 o'clock in the morning, people call me, oh, my God, you know, and, and back then, you know, I didn't have a cell phone, so I was, you know, leaving messages or trying to pick up the phone when they called and, you know, and then I'm calling other people, and, they, and I'm like, no, I didn't go to the see. Did you go? And then he calling other people. Did you go? So everybody's trying to wake each other up to see if they actually went. 
know. Well, oh, let, let's wrap know. up our Wasp episode because the the yeah. you know we can always do a show about Great White and some of the rock and roll disasters. <laughs> but what are your three favorite tracks off the album, Andy? Uh, I love Damn Nation Angels. That's my favorite off the whole album. Uh, Hell Dorado's number two. And a, jeez, uh, I'm uh, high on the flames. Sorry, I'm going blank there. High on the flames. I'm high on the flames. So those are my top three. Nice. Bill, what about you? Uh, definitely Hell Dorado and High on the Flames. And I still like Cocaine Cowboys. I still think I would have been a, just an ass kicker just to go off the record. All right. I'm, I'm with you on Cocaine Cowboys. Hot Rods to Hell <laughs> reprise at the end. Great, great closing track. And, you know, I, I it's so tough to pick. I, there are six very, very strong songs. I'm going to go with the uh, Hell Dorado opening, opening musical track. Um just fantastic great rip-roaring rock and roll i've already said that one but uh, a lot of good stuff on this if you haven't listened to this album the whole thing's up on youtube or spotify probably for streaming you can check it out you don't have to go buy a 299 used cd either um which is what mine is why not uh but you can if, if like andy said why not um go check out this album it's we're into the part of the catalog now that uh, you may not be familiar with a lot of these songs these albums but hopefully we've said something today about one of these songs that makes you want to go what on earth are they talking about and go check it out for yourself because that's the, ultimately what we hope the response to this episode and any that we do is is that you check out something new or you revisit something old which has been the case for me and i've thoroughly enjoyed doing so so for now from andy from bill myself Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time when we talk about, well, we'll either do the live albums or we'll go straight into the next studio album. Who knows? We hope to see you then. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to us, like us, or even leave us a review. You can find us and join the conversation on Facebook. <laughs>